Hey, this is Adrian Hernandez, and welcome to the NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speaker and ask some of the tough and interesting questions you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of our Grand Rounds content can be found at rethinkingclinicaltrials.org. Thanks for joining. Today we're here with Ellen Tambor and Dr. Sean Tunis, who will be reflecting on straight from the source clinicians' views on participating in CER and PCOR. Uh, Ellen and uh, Sean, thanks so much for uh, doing Grand Rounds and for joining us in this uh, podcast. I wonder if, if we could start out by uh, the, the two of you just briefly summarizing this work that you're doing. I know it's, it's work that's in process, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about the motivation for it and what you're doing and, and what's going to be coming up? Uh, so this, this work really originated um, as we were working with the Stakeholder Engagement Corps for the collaboratory, and one of our tasks was to um, listen for common challenges that were coming out of the uh, PCT demonstration projects. And one challenge that came up pretty early on was engaging with frontline clinicians to get the trials implemented. Um, so we did a little work there to talk with some of the investigators, find out what sorts of problems they were uh, running up against. And um, a lot of what we were hearing was that there was a lot of effort to engage with the health system leadership in getting the trials planned, but when it came to actually implementing the trials and needing to work with the staff and the clinicians on the ground, that they were running into barriers. Um, so one, one thing we didn't get to do with the collaboratory work was talk to the clinicians themselves, and we thought that was a really important aspect of um, doing this work was to really hear straight from the clinicians. There's a lot of speculation by researchers on how clinicians should be engaged, but not really a lot of attempt to hear directly from them. Um, so we received this um, Eugene Washington Bacori Engagement Award in September 2016 with the goal of developing guidance for researchers who want to work with frontline clinicians and doing CERP core and um, wanted to make sure that we weren't repeating anything, so started out with a literature review covering um, both um, literature directly related to clinician involvement in research and then branching out a little further to look at some of the quality improvement literature and use that to build an initial conceptual framework of, of what's involved in engaging with frontline clinicians and, and research. Then the, the second phase, which we are in the middle of now, is conducting focus groups with groups of clinicians, and we're including uh, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners. We've had dentists, psychologists, all types of clinical providers involved with the criteria just being that they um, are providers who spend the majority of their time directly caring for patients, not doing research, and don't identify as researchers. And it's, it's been really, so far we've worked with um, the Clinical Directors Network in New York and with Alliance Chicago, which is a network of community health centers, and um, just recently completed um, focus groups at Edward Hines Jr. VA Hospital in Chicago. And we, we've been really uh, fortunate to find very interested and engaged focus group participants who over and over again talk about really seeing the value and their being more involved in research to make sure that it's answering the questions that they really want to see answered. And then we're also now moving into the final stage of the project, which is doing key informant interviews 
with investigators and clinicians participating in the adaptable trial um, to really dig in deeper and learn what's working and what's what's not working in terms of clinician engagement. And we've already, already heard some of the lessons learned from adaptable that engaging with frontline clinicians is really something that needs to be taken into account. The, the trial was initially designed to limit the burden placed on clinicians to the largest extent possible. But, but I think what some of what they're finding is that, that clinician engagement is really important for successful recruitment efforts. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to talk with those um, uh, clinicians and investigators in the next phase of the study. Great, thanks, Ellen. Sean, do you have anything that you want to add to that? So just a, a couple things to sort of underscore and emphasize. Um, you know, one is this point that in, in the in the patient-centered outcomes research, comparative effectiveness research field, so much great work has been done and progress has been made around patient engagement. And, you know, PCORI and others have developed, you know, sophisticated rubrics about, you know, how that can be done effectively and what the importance is and, uh, and really, you know, a ton of progress there. Um, and, you know, we've been working on that for many years at at CMTP as well, and feel like we we've learned a lot of lessons about you know how to make that work. Um, there's just been so much less attention to you know engaging the frontline clinicians uh, and uh, you know how to partner with them, how to work with them in ways that are constructive that they find valuable. So it was kind of a remarkable opportunity, I think, to begin to you know dive into into this field. One stakeholder group that we were consistently having the greatest difficulty engaging and just getting to participate in meetings and projects was frontline clinicians. And we were hearing the same thing from lots of other folks who were working in patient-centered outcomes research. And there's a number of, you know, obvious reasons for that, just conflicting with clinical schedules and other, you know, logistical things. But it also seemed that there was there would be a lot of value in better understanding what are the motivations and what are the uh, barriers, et cetera. So that was um, a couple of reasons why we decided um, to work in this area. If you're going to be doing pragmatic clinical trials or other types of you know, real-world studies, um, it's pretty hard to imagine how one is going to do any of that work successfully without uh, working in a very... A constructive fashion with the frontline clinicians because you know they're the ones that are in the real world along with the patients and um, uh, without without solving that that riddle or that puzzle there's doesn't seem like we'll we'll continue to accelerate progress in any of this you know I'm wondering in what you've learned so far was there anything surprising that you learned from the focus groups or or from uh, your preliminary investigations i think i probably expected to hear more of researchers should do their jobs and let us do our jobs our job isn't to develop generalizable knowledge but to take care of our patients um, and that that was just my sort of bias about what i expected to hear um, i been pleasantly surprised that over and over we're hearing uh, physicians saying that they come up with ideas on a daily basis when they're taking care of their patients and think that they really uh, would benefit from research. They just don't know what to do next. For me, 
the biggest surprise was an insight that, um, uh, you know, Ellen and Rachel Maloney really kind of uh, helped me understand just as they began to summarize some of the work that they'd done from the literature review and some of the early focus groups, which is a lot of exactly the same principles that apply to effective patient engagement are the same principles that apply to successful clinician engagement. And, you know, it turns out that, uh, you know, that probably reflects the underlying reality that clinicians and patients are both human beings. And, uh, you know, they... (laughs) The, the the ways to work effectively with people have to do with, you know, transparency and, you know, mutual education and learning and building trust and honest relationships and all of those things that were, uh, you know, um, revealed in the course of working on how to effectively engage patients were really no different uh, than the principles that I think are going to emerge as critically important to engaging effectively with clinicians. Great. Well, I think you just gave us a good title for this podcast. Research finds clinicians are surprisingly human. <laughs> Given that this is a this is sort of a self-selected group for the focus groups, as you said, there's already some interest in research. I wonder how difficult was it to get everyone in the group up to speed about the kinds of research studies you're talking about. In our experience, not really difficult at all. Um, We sort of built on their basic understanding, assuming that all clinicians have been involved in quality improvement in some respect, and sort of set up the parameters of what we consider quality improvement and then transition to the research into the spectrum and then um, after we uh, talked about that a little bit, distinguished between the traditional randomized control trial and um, the advantages and disadvantages of those and then from there talked more about pragmatic clinical trials and and how they differ. And um, I, I, I don't think it was a difficult concept for them to grasp. A lot of the people in the focus groups hadn't, they had certainly heard of, of RCTs, but a lot of them had never heard of the concept of a pragmatic trial. But once we gave a basic explanation of it, they really got it right away and could see the benefit. It's making me realize one important difference between patients and clinicians or representatives of the public and clinicians is that Clinicians are not surprised when they hear that these studies are not generally being done. The patients and the public are just sort of shocked to find out that this hasn't been going on for decades. Um, and so it's, you know, the, the, the biggest thing we've encountered actually in, you know, more on the kind of patient public side of all this is why has this been started so recently? You know, haven't we been haven't we been trying to answer these questions or haven't researchers been trying to answer these questions for years? Whereas the clinicians seem to immediately recognize that, you know, this is, this is not what's been happening consistently in the past. Yeah. I know in some of the qualitative work we did with, with uh, members of the public, that, that was a, a concern. People said they might be a little bit worried if, if their investigator or their, their clinician said that, wasn't sure which treatment was best. So yeah, it'd be a great thing to ask about. Sean, I'm going to pick out a paper you were an author on uh, a little while ago. Um, and it was this, this great paper you did with Ruth Faden and colleagues uh, talking about the ethical framework for a learning healthcare system. And one of the things that really struck me about that article, um, among many things that struck me, was 
um, the obligation six to, to conduct continuous learning activities that improve the quality of clinical care and healthcare systems. And and uh, you know the proposal there is and is uh, includes this idea that. Um, you know, in the words of the article, the obligation requires that every practitioner and institution accept a responsibility to feed information into the system that increases our knowledge. And I'm just wondering, as you're reflecting on these these engagements that you've had with the clinicians, you know, how how far away are we from from clinicians feeling that responsibility, not just a, a willingness to participate, but but an actual responsibility. It's a great question, and you know I think those those elements of the paper on the learning healthcare system and the ethical framework were some of the more controversial pieces of it. Um, you know, the obligation on clinicians and health systems to contribute to learning as well as on patients. Um, you know, I think you can make sort of a a strong theoretical argument about why why that is defensible. Um, and we certainly wanted to put it out for discussion. But I would say, in direct answer to your question, that I haven't picked up, and I don't think we've picked up in this project, a strong sense that clinicians view participating in these studies as you know part of their professional obligation. I think mm-hmm. they generally w- would at least my impression is they would generally agree that um, it's important to contribute to, you know, growing knowledge. And I think clinicians are kind of trained in a way to understand that, you know, we never have as much knowledge as we need and that part of being a clinician is to, you know, be a good observer and, you know, to try to become you know, more informed for oneself and and share those insights with other clinicians. But um, applying that to the idea that one has an obligation to participate in more formal kind of knowledge-generating activities, I haven't really seen any evidence of that. It's an aspiration. I would just add that despite those obvious barriers, that I think researchers need a shift in how they think about working with clinicians to really looking at it more like we do the patient engagement model. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, um, Ellen and Sean, for spending some time with us on this podcast. And that was a great discussion, and we hope that uh, we can have you guys back again. Our next podcast will be Dr. Robert Califf talking about data science in the era of data ubiquity. Thanks for joining today's NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Let us know what you think by rating this interview on our website, and we hope to see you again on our next Grand Rounds, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.